All right, tonight is part four of our Kingdom of God series. Last Saturday night, we started with the Kingdom of God is Power. Sunday morning at Living Hope First Service, the Kingdom of God is Righteousness. Second service, the Kingdom of God is Peace. And this is the fourth installment, the Kingdom of God is Joy in the Holy Spirit. If you have not had an opportunity to go get a hold of those messages, I invite you to go to either the ARC website. Are they all on the ARC website? Yes, they are. All of them are on the ARC website. They're also on the ARC Facebook page, ARC Ministries Facebook page. And you can download them for free there. And um, so they're available to you. So I encourage you to get them. And... and, um, So, the point of this, ki- this Kingdom of God series is that we have to understand what the Kingdom of God is. Because the Kingdom of God is the greatest reality that is supposed to characterize our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. The major burden of the preaching of Jesus was not the church, not the ministry, not the pastorate, not the apostles, not the prophets, not evangelists, pastors, or teachers, not the life of your family, Not your career, not money. The burden of the ministry of Jesus and the burden of his preaching was the kingdom of God. And his gospel was called the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to understand what God wants from us, what he desires of us, and what he expects from us, we have to understand how to live as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Of God, And it is the kingdom of God that we are called to preach, and it is the kingdom of God that we are called to live in and to be a part of. And so we must understand what the kingdom of God is. Now, there were two passages of Scripture I gave you. The first was 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, and that's what we focused on last Saturday night. And it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. The kingdom of God is power. That was last Saturday night. The second is... Romans chapter 14, verse 17, and that's what we've been focusing on in the last three messages. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit modifies righteousness, peace, and joy, not just joy. It's not just joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, but righteousness comes from the Holy Spirit. Peace comes from the Holy Spirit, and joy comes from the Holy Spirit. So these four components make up the kingdom of God. Power, righteousness, peace, and joy. Power, righteousness, peace, and joy. And that means that when when Satan opposes any of these four things in your life, Satan wants you to live a powerless life. He wants you to live in wickedness and not righteousness. He wants you to live with anxiety and fear and not peace. And he wants you to have sorrow and not joy. But when Satan opposes the power of God in your life, when he opposes your righteousness, when he opposes your peace, and when he opposes your joy, he's actually opposing God's kingdom, not you. Because when God's kingdom flows through you, it flows through you in the form of power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so Satan actually doesn't care about you. He could care less about you. Say, Satan's attacking me. No, he's attacking God's kingdom. You just got in the way. The moment anything of God's power was released in your life, you were in the way of Satan's opposition against God's kingdom. And so he knows that he cannot attack God directly. God is impenetrable as far as direct attack is concerned. There's never been an attack on his shores. Satan, when he wants to attack the kingdom of God, he doesn't grab his demons and say, let's go to heaven and assault heaven. I think we can take them. He doesn't even try it. Instead, he attacks the believer, but he attacks specific things. He's not attacking your finances. He wants you to make a decision to walk in weakness. Because the kingdom of God manifests itself in power. And so if he can get you to walk in weakness then he has successfully opposed the flow of the kingdom through your life. He wants to get you to to embrace wickedness and sin because he knows that the kingdom of God manifests in righteousness. And if he can get you to embrace it, and here's the thing, we make treaties with the devil when we embrace anything less than power, anything less than righteousness, anything less than peace, 
Anything less than joy in the Holy Spirit is less than the kingdom of God. And so we say, well, I just, you know, some believers are really powerful. That's just not me. And so I just know that, you know, I've got to deal with this because I'm just not very powerful. But I'll just be a loving Christian. And I don't need any power. I, I'm, and I just walk around going, woe is me. And I just say, I'm weak. And I think it's humility. I'm really, oh, I'm, I'm just a poor Christian. I'm just really weak. And I know I'm not very strong. But the kingdom of God is a matter of power. And so you've got to be strong and take courage. Do not fear or be dismayed. And know that the Lord God is going before you and that he's called you to walk in power and not in weakness. Now, concerning your personal strength, yes, you walk in weakness. Because you don't step into God's power until you come to the end of yours. Concerning personal righteousness, it's filthy rags. But it's God's righteousness that flows through you. You don't have any personal peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And you don't have any joy because it's the joy of the Lord that's your strength, not your own joy. So the kingdom of God is not manifested in you just having some positive thinking. It's not manifested in just kind of human beings deciding, I'm going to be strong, yeah. But it's God's power and God's righteousness and God's peace and God's joy, and when you allow those four components to flow through your life in whatever context you are in, you're bringing the kingdom. Wherever you are, you're bringing the kingdom. We can talk about where we want the kingdom to manifest, but until we get a hold of these four things, we don't know what it is. How do I know that I'm bringing the kingdom? I'm walking in power. The power of God is going with me. I'm seeing signs of the manifestation of God's power through my faith. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm walking in righteousness. And righteousness, we said on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., is not just doing the right thing, but it's being relationally right with God and with people. Righteousness is the outflow of covenant, and without a covenant, there's no such thing as righteousness. And peace is shalom. It's not a psychological state in Scripture. It's a theological term. Peace, shalom, is well-being. It's safety. It's prosperity. It's freedom from offense. And it's also freedom from sin. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great shalom have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. When you walk in the shalom of the Lord, you can't trip over anything. I know a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up again. But when God gives you great peace, nothing causes you to stumble. You won't stumble on anything. And so God wants to manifest. It's funny, everybody around you can be tripping. But you're not tripping. You say, why aren't you tripping? Because I've got the peace of the Lord. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What we have seen in the last hundred years is very powerful, very successful believers in Jesus Christ, men and women of God who have done great things, founded great organizations, done great exploits in the world, but they were missing either power or they were missing righteousness or they had no peace or they had no joy and sometimes they were missing multiple components. So that I can have a great ministry. You can look back and say, you saw 15,000 people come to Christ. You planted a beautiful church. You raised up entrepreneurs and, and missionaries and pastors and, and teachers and educators and politicians and sent them out into the world. You did this marvelous work, but you were riddled with anxiety the whole time. You know what God is more interested in than my works? He's interested in the quality of my life. And the kingdom flows through the quality of my life before it flows through my works. That's what God wants, is for me to manifest the kingdom so that if you come to my house and spend some time with me, you'll see that this guy lives in the kingdom. He doesn't just talk about it. That's what I want. And that's what I want for each and every one of you. Now, we're talking about the kingdom of God being joy. The kingdom of God being joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on what is happening. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is non-circumstantial. 
The reason happiness is based on what is happening is because happiness flows out of our interpretation of the material realm. It flows out of our interpretation of the condition of the material realm in relation to ourselves. So I look around me and we typically define happiness as the satisfaction of some physical, material, bodily need that I have. So, when we, you know, we just had Thanksgiving. And, uh, there was an anointing in the house. And it was a standing anointing. The glory of God began to be released Wednesday evening when my mother showed up. My mother came over and started cooking Wednesday evening. Well, actually, by the time she got there, about 7 p.m. Wednesday evening, she already brought in food that she had cooked at home, and we began to feast. Mm. Mm. My soul was delighting in fatness. My mother makes what I call heart attack cornbread. I mean, she put the corn in the skillet, and then she put in a pound and a half of butter. It brought joy. I, I tell you what, that cornbread, now, I can only eat it once a year, because I'll be in the hospital if I eat it twice. I mean, it's, it's that serious. You know, you might as well just, I told, mom, I, I told my mom, I said, you might as well just get some raw cholesterol and just rub it right into your heart. Just directly into your heart. It's that, you know, it's that bad for you. But isn't it interesting that this passage of Scripture here, Romans 14, 17, it says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Isn't that interesting? It, that before it tells us what the kingdom is, it tells us what the kingdom is not. It's not eating and drinking. And eating and drinking is symbolic of everything that we do to try to satisfy one of our bodily, material needs. The kingdom of God is not in the satisfaction of your material, bodily needs. It's not satisfying your emotional needs, your mental needs, your physical needs, your bodily needs, your relational needs. Matter of fact, the kingdom of God is not about the satisfaction of your needs at all. It's not about you. Because if it was about the satisfaction of my needs, then it would be the kingdom of Benjamin. But we're talking about the kingdom of God. It's not eating and drinking. The problem is most of us don't know how to derive joy in any other way than through the satisfaction of one of our needs. So we have joy whenever one of my needs or desires is met. Now I got joy. I've eaten. I've shopped, and I've mm, 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 with my wife. Touch him, Lord. Let me throw this out there for free, because a lot of y'all are single. There's a common misconception. And the miscon this misconception operates at, in every arena of life. That misconception is that you get to a particular place where you don't need discipline anymore. When I get to a certain weight, I can eat anything I want. When I get a certain amount of money, I can spend as much as I want. And when I get married, I can mm, as much as I want. Mm. You need to exercise discipline for the rest of your life in every arena of your life. So that just get that inside your head now so that you don't have a rude awakening when she says she got a headache. Now, the kingdom of God is joy. The kingdom of God is joy. Now, here's the thing. Joy in Scripture is in the Old Testament especially, is very often associated with food. 
it's interesting that Paul says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but yet there's dozens of texts that associate joy and food. First Chronicles 12.20 says their neighbors from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. Now, I want to be at that feast. I mean, when people start bringing food on donkeys and mules and oxen, <laughs> you know, man, now that is a feast. And it says there were plentiful supp supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. You see that? First Chronicles 29:22. they ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Ezra 6.22, for seven days they celebrated with joy the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days. Now, Israel knew how to party. We have Thanksgiving one day. When they had a feast, it lasted seven days. Can you imagine eating like we eat for seven days? <laughs> Makes me want to talk in tongues and interpret it. That's enough to make a Presbyterian dance in the spirit. <laughs> One more. Esther 8:17. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And finally, Esther 9:17. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Israel, they just look for an opportunity to feast. Let's just eat and let's just have joy. However, by the time you get to the Psalms, there's a shift. In the Psalms, joy is no longer associated with food. I searched the Psalms this morning. There's not one association between joy and food in the Psalms. Every place in the Psalms where the word joy appears... It's associated with the presence of the Lord. It's associated with the praises of the Lord. It's associated with the house of the Lord. It's associated with the glory of the Lord. Psalm 4, 7, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. You know what he's saying? Grain and new wine represents food. He says, you filled my heart with greater joy than when I'm sitting down at a great Thanksgiving meal with a turkey a leg in one hand and a ham and a, a slice of ham on a fork in the other. You filled my heart with greater joy. And I'm not getting a whole lot of amens for that because we just can't imagine joy without food. We can't imagine a joy that transcends food. If it's going to be joyful, there's got to be food. Because we, got, listen, one of the first things that God does when he wants to teach you what real joy is, is he allows you to walk into a situation when you're denied your physical needs or your desires or your wants. He, why? Because he wants to separate you from the tendency to find your joy in those things that you think you need. He says, I'm going to deprive you of those things for a season. Not forever, because then you die of starvation. But he says, for this season, I'm going to separate you so that you can learn to find your joy in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Say, but Lord, I need this thing. No, 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 you don't. You say, how come God hasn't given me a, a husband yet? Man, I'd be so joyful if I was married right now. And the Lord says, a little bit, little bit longer. Till you learn to find your joy in me. How come God hasn't given me a wife? Or here's a good one. How come I've been, I've been married for all this time, but my wife doesn't do this for me? My wife doesn't do that for me. My husband doesn't do this for me. My husband doesn't do that for me. I wish my husband would do this. I wish, you know, whoever you marry, the whole concept of the perfect person for you is not biblical. You know who the perfect person for you is? Jesus. Because <laughs> he's the only perfect person. Anybody who says, she's the perfect one for me, is lying through their teeth. Because the, if they were to be honest, they'd tell you ten things that they wish they could change in that joker. 
God always allows there to be disappointment, even in the marriage relationship. Why? So that we learn to find our joy in Jesus and not allow another person, even our own spouse, to consume all of our joy. David says, you filled my heart with greater joy than when their wine and oil abound. Now, David learned, and we find this all through the Psalms, he learned to find his joy in the Lord. How did he learn to find his joy in the Lord? What do you think that season of running from Saul was all about? Now, David went through this season out with the sheep. You know, he turned that lemon into lemonade. The shepherd was the least esteemed member of the household. If you get, were given the task of the shepherd, it meant that you were the nobody of the house. It meant that you had the least amount of, amount of clout, amount of respect, amount of honor in the house. All of David's brothers were in the house eating sandwiches, dressing in Armani suits. And David was outside with the sheep. So much so that when the prophet Samuel showed up and said, the Lord said, one of your sons is king, he didn't even think to send somebody for David. He just told his six older sons, dress up, go put on the nice one, you know, the Armani. And, they, it said, Bring, and he brought them out one by one, and they came walking out before Samuel, <laughs> you know. And he says, don't you have any more sons? And, and, and Jesse goes, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, there's one more. That's how little he was thought of. But what was David doing out there? He wasn't out there complaining, feeling sorry for himself. He was out there with his guitar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in grief. He's singing all these songs. He's having all these worship songs. And he had so much joy out there. The anointing would come on him so strong that a lion would come. And without thinking, he would knock that lion out and kill it. I, I can imagine after it's done, what was I thinking? That's a lion. You know, when the anointing comes on you, you shoot first and ask questions later. Come on, that's good. You take things out in the spirit. And you go, what was I thinking? It's because you weren't yourself. The anointing of the Lord came on you. And you feel, that's why he said, the Lord, blessed be the Lord my rock who teaches my hands to war. I can bend a bow of bronze. Why? Because when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes, I become a different person. So David's out there filled with the Spirit. The anointing is flowing. You know, you ever have, when you go into that season where the Spirit of God is moving on you in worship, you know, I, man, I remember that season in my life where there was just heavy downpour of the Spirit on my life, and I walked around with my little Walkman, you know, with my little cassette tape. I had worship just playing 24-7. I'd go to sleep with it on. And I'd wake up in the presence of God, flip the tape, and turn, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah. I didn't even want to talk to any of y'all, because I just would go and just, just spend all of my hours in the presence of the Lord, day and night. I was just with the Lord. And every time I would just close my eyes, whoosh, the presence of God would come, the Shekinah glory of God would come. There was just this downfall. Now, now, all of a sudden, King Saul says, David, I want to bring you into my court. Promotion, right? Wrong. David, I want you to sit over there and exercise that gift, play that harp and sing. I'm just going to sit over here and throw spears at you whenever I feel like it. That kind of breaks the anointing, don't you think? I mean, can you imagine the first time he's feeling goosebumps, bubblies, the president? Oh, my goodness! Spear! The king threw a spear at me! You're nervous from that moment on. You can't enter the presence of God when you're nervous. The next thing you know, David is running for his life, hiding in the barren wilderness, surrounded by nothing but people who are broke and disgruntled, and, you know, their lives fell apart, so they went out in the desert to David in the strongholds, and he's running for his life. It's there that he wrote Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirst for you, O God. My soul longs for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food. He went through this season of complete and total anguish where he was separated from everything. And he says in that chapter, I used to go with the multitudes, with, with the throng that, that, that celebrated with joy. I used to go to the temp I used to go to the tabernacle and celebrate with joy. But now I lost everything. I'm cut off. He went through that season in which he was cut off so that God could teach him that joy is found in the presence of the Lord and not in the satisfaction of your needs. Joy is not situational. It's eternal. 
And so that's why David says in Psalm 16, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with everlasting pleasures at your right hand. That's why he says in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When my enemies came upon me, he, this, this, this Holy Spirit militants came over him where he wasn't afraid of anything. And he just experienced continual joy in the presence of God. And that's why you go through the Psalms from start to finish. And joy has nothing to do with situational happiness. It has everything to do with the presence of God. Joy is a response to God's presence. Now, um, in Luke chapter 1... There's a situation where Mary is pregnant, and when she gets pregnant, she immediately goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was present, who was preg- excuse me, was already six months pregnant when Mary found out she was pregnant, and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. You remember the angel came to Zechariah in the temple there in Luke chapter one. Zechariah was high priest that year, and he goes into the holy of holies to offer blood on the altar and incense. And the angel Gabriel comes and says, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a son and you'll name him John and he'll be a joy and a delight to the Lord and he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. And Zechariah said, well, how will I know this? Never ask an angel that. See, God is a God of mercy and grace, but angels are not. They don't like you. They can't understand why you're saved and they're not. The angels sinned, and God immediately locked them in hell for eternity. You sinned, he immediately sent his son to die on the cross for us and to make us sons and daughters of God. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that even angels desire to look into these things. So angels don't have a whole lot of patience. So Zacharias says, how will I know this? He says, okay, my name's Gabriel. I'm gleaming here, okay? Like, I'm, you know, I'm a shiny angel. Hello? Okay, I stand in the presence of God. I've come to bring you this good news, but since you don't like it, I'll tell you what. You're not going to talk until it's done. See ya. <laughs> that didn't go too well for Zechariah. So Zechariah comes out, he can't talk, and he goes home, and sure enough, his wife gets pregnant. And um, Mary, six months later, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Now look at this. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Mary walks in the room, John the Baptist in the, room, in the womb of Elizabeth gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit baptizer is in Mary's womb. There's womb-to-womb communication happening here. Before Mary and, even, and Elizabeth even understood what was happening, what was in the womb of Mary was ministering to what was in the womb of Elizabeth. Some of the deepest fellowship that happens in the body of Christ is when you are pregnant with the purpose of God and you have womb-to-womb fellowship with someone else who's pregnant. Sometimes what's inside of you speaks to what's inside of me before you and I even understand what's happening. But it says, Elizabeth said, the moment the sound of your greeting hit my ears, the baby inside me leapt for joy. Joy happened when I heard a sound. The kingdom of God, the manifestation of the kingdom of God that brings joy starts with a sound. I want you to hear this tonight. It's a sound. Luke chapter 1 verse 58, the scripture says of Elizabeth that when her neighbors heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, they shared her joy. When they heard. This is Elizabeth after John the Baptist was born. The neighbors heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and suddenly they shared her joy. Elizabeth had this great experience of, number one, getting pregnant in her old age, number two, meeting Mary, and her baby's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she's filled with joy. The neighbors and friends 
heard what was happening, and they shared her joy. Sometimes the most powerful thing is when you're filled with joy by the Holy Spirit and others hear about it. When others hear about what happened to you, they're brought into the same joy that you have. They begin to share it with you because they heard the sound of it. There's a sound. Luke chapter 2 verse 10, this is the angels speaking to the shepherds on the hillside. These shepherds that were watching over their flocks by night. And then the angel appears to them and says, Behold, I bring you good news which will be for great joy for all people. The good news brings joy. Joy comes from hearing the good news and rejoicing in it. Nothing's changed. The shepherds have just heard the word. And they're rejoicing. The wise men saw the star. And it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They hear a sound. They see a sign. Nothing's changed in the natural. The shepherds are on the hill. The angel gives them the announcement. They begin to rejoice. The world is still going to hell. Israel's still under domination of the foreign domination of the, the Roman Empire. Herod is still killing folk. You hear a sound and you begin to rejoice, even though the divorce rate is still rising. And abortions are still happening. And political agendas are still fighting for to legalize gay marriage. And the murder rate is still going up, but you hear a sound in the Spirit and you begin to rejoice. The good news brings great joy, even though nothing's changed yet, but the people of God begin to hear a sound. And they begin to hear a sound from heaven. It doesn't say they rejoiced because they saw the murder rate decreasing. It doesn't say they rejoiced because they saw agendas being in, in hand, the, the Christian agenda going forth. They didn't say they rejoiced because more of their people were getting jobs in the workforce. It didn't say they rejoiced because they got certain test scores. They rejoiced because they heard a sound because an announcement came from heaven and said, This is good news. First of all, the joy that comes from the kingdom of God is the joy that comes when believers begin to hear from heaven and not from earth. When they begin to hear a sound in the spirit that says, Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. And we look around and don't see any signs of it in the natural, but we begin to rejoice today because God said it. Are you hearing me? The good news brings joy the good news brings joy john said it in john chapter 3 verse 29 he says the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and is now complete he heard the voice of jesus coming he knew that jesus was there and he says now my joy is complete why because i've introduced you to jesus behold the son of god the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, I'm just a stand-in for Him, but when I hear His voice, my joy is complete. Nothing's changed yet, but I begin to hear His voice. You're looking for your situation to change, and God is looking for you to begin to hear His voice. You're looking for your finances to change. All God wants is for you to hear His voice and begin to rejoice. I don't care if you're still sick. You've heard the doctor's voice. Hear the voice of the Lord now. Nothing has to change. you just got to begin to hear from heaven. And when you hear the Lord say, all is well, then you begin to rejoice. When you hear the Lord say, you are victorious, then you begin to rejoice. When you hear the Lord say, it is done, then you begin to rejoice. When you hear the Lord say, your warfare is over. The problem is we hear, we hear the Lord say our warfare is over, but we keep on mourning. What does he say in, in Isaiah chapter 40? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is over. That her war, cry, cry to Jerusalem and tell her it's time to stop warring. It's time to stop fighting. I've won the battle. But you still see the enemy coming at you. The Lord will speak to you and say your warfare is over, but you look out and you see an enemy arrayed against you. Are you going to believe what you see? Or are you going to believe what the Lord just said? Your warfare's over. It's done. Joy comes from hearing the good news. Now, this is the key to understanding the joy that manifests the kingdom of God. You ever seen those movies where somebody dies, whether it's a bad guy or a good guy, but they laugh while they're killing them? 
You know what I'm talking about? Somebody gets stabbed and they see that they're dying and they go, ah, ha, 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 <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? There's that particular kind of laugh, whether it's a good guy or a bad guy, mostly in like Chinese movies. I get depressed when I watch Chinese movies. And it's even worse than Japanese movies. Man, I watched a Japanese samurai movie the other night. And he kills all the bad guys, except one who can't fight at all, and he lets that guy stab him in the stomach so he could die with his enemy. Because he wanted to die a good death. I said, the devil is a liar. And he was so happy laying down dying. I said, the devil is a liar. That is some deception right there. Man, I would have killed that enemy and kept walking. Wouldn't have had a pizza party. But this is what I'm getting at. Or he's Japanese, so I go have me some sushi or something. But here's the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that when somebody dies in a movie and they laugh when they're dying, their laughter indicates that they know that their death doesn't stop their cause. When they're laughing, ah, ha, 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 what they're saying is, you can kill me, but my cause prevails. You can take me out, but the success of my cause is not tied to the state of my life. Get something straight. The state of God's kingdom is not dependent upon your personal welfare. God's kingdom does not depend on how much money you got in the bank. Listen, if you read all, if you flip all the way to the back of the book, Jesus wins. Even if everything in your life is completely effed up, Jesus wins. And F is for fouled. <laughs> I got that from Lana. I blame Lana. <laughs> but, okay, so this is the key for believers. We live between between D-Day and V-Day. Now, June 6, 1944 is known as D-Day. Why? World War II was decisively over on D-Day, June 6, 1944. Why? Because the Allied forces took Normandy Beach on that day. And the Allied forces knew it and the Germans knew it. Whoever won on Normandy Beach won the war. If the Germans could force the Allies back into the water, the Germans won the war. But if the Allied forces were able to take Normandy Beach and build a, a, a station there, a, a, a base camp there, it's over. However, even after the Allied forces took Normandy Beach at the invasion of Normandy and completely secured it, won that battle, the war waged on. The Germans knew they were defeated, but they still fought many battles. They knew they were defeated, but they still killed many more Allied forces and many more Jews. They knew they were defeated, but they were going to fight until the very end. They were not going to simply give up because they knew that defeat was inevitable. D-Day was June 6, 1944. But V-Day was, I forgot to check the date for that, but it was much later. <laughs> D-Day for the believer was the day Jesus died on the cross. On that day, he disarmed powers and principalities and made a public spectacle over them. He secured our victory. The scripture says, by one sacrifice, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's done. He defeated every power of sin in your life. He defeated every issue, every power of bondage, everything that comes at you from any direction. Jesus defeated it all by the cross, but it's still fighting you tooth and nail, isn't it? And when it fights you tooth and nail, you might be tempted to believe that maybe Jesus didn't beat everything. Maybe he didn't take all of its power. Maybe it still has some power. No, we're still waiting for V-Day. V-Day is the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
But D-Day already happened. The Battle of Normandy and the Spirit was already won. It means that we're already victorious. Why do we rejoice? Because we know that the war is over. There's still battles that we have to fight, but the war is over. Satan knows that he's destined for the lake of fire. He knows that he cannot defeat Jesus Christ, and he knows he can't defeat you. He's going to fight you tooth and nail, but his whole purpose for fighting you is to convince you otherwise. To convince you that he still has a means of victory in your life. So no matter what happens to you, you just laugh at it. You just laugh. And that's why Paul, in prison, awaiting his own execution, writes to the Philippian church and says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. He said, What do you mean rejoice in the Lord? How can you tell us to rejoice when you're awaiting execution? They're about to put your head on the chopping block. Well, it's easy because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's all. To, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've already been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. See, so, you know, so just, just rejoice. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, count it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, three, not 1 Peter. James 1.3. Count it pure joy. And it's interesting that he puts that word pure there. Unadulterated by sorrow. Don't mix it. It's not talking about the joy that comes through your tears. Pure joy. When you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But just let patience have its perfect work. God is perfecting you. That's the purpose for the trial. How about Isaiah 54? This is a great one. It makes no sense in a Hebrew context. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Shout for joy, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate woman than she who has a husband, says the Lord. Now that don't make no sense. The woman who ain't got no kids has got more kids than the woman who has kids. That's literally what the prophet is saying. The prophet is calling for us to rejoice in the midst of even the barren places of our lives. The place that won't bear any fruit. The place where you're tempted to mourn and grieve. You know that place where you look at that place in your life and say, I should be so much further ahead than I am now. I should have succeeded in this place already. I should have gotten over this already. I should have bore fruit in this place already. This should have happened for me already. How come I'm so far behind everybody else? How come everybody else has this and I don't have this? How come they got this and I didn't get this? Why did this happen? Sing. Stop complaining about it. Stop grieving about it. Stop mourning about it. And sing and begin to shout for joy. Why? Because in the Spirit, God says you're fruitful. And that's what God does. God always speaks the opposite of what you see in the material. Abraham, you're the father of many nations. But I ain't got no kids. No, 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 no. I said you're the father of many nations. I said it. I said it. When God says it, it's the cause for rejoicing. Rejoicing comes from hearing the word of the Lord. And I don't care what you see when God speaks. God always speaks the opposite of what you see in the natural. It's a test to see if you're going to believe what you see or if you're going to believe what God says. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we worship God with reverence and awe. We're not looking to the things that are seen because the things that are seen are temporary. And if you derive your joy from the things that are seen, you're going to have temporary joy. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And if you derive your joy from the things that are unseen, you'll have eternal joy. And that's what God wants to give you is eternal joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The good news brings joy. Our rejoicing is in the gospel. That's the good news. And the gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall 
through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means that through the cross, God has reversed everything that went wrong in the fall. That's why it's called the new creation. That's why the scripture says that the very creation itself is in bondage to decay, but God's going to liberate it and set it free. The gospel is the message that through the cross of Jesus Christ, God has reversed everything that went wrong in the fall. Everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, God made it right in Jesus Christ. That's what redemption is. That's what restoration is. You look around and it doesn't look like anything has been made right. But you rejoice because you hear the gospel. God says, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And that's where it ends in the book of Revelation. It says, then I saw the new Jerusalem descending from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will be their God, and they will be his people. And God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes, for the old order of things has passed away. And then I heard he who sat upon the throne say, Behold, I make all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Did you see that? It ends with God saying, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. You know why the joy of the Lord is our strength? Because we look at some messed up stuff in our life and we hear God say, but I'm making all things new. The joy of the Lord is our strength because we look at stuff that's falling apart and dying and we hear the Lord say, I'm making all things new. That is our joy. That is our rejoicing because no matter what we see, no matter what we encounter, no matter what we go through, God is in the process of making all things new. And so we rejoice in the Lord. And as we rejoice in the Lord, the kingdom of God is manifested through us. And God begins to assert his right to reign through our joy. He asserts his right to reign in the earth as we begin to rejoice in the Lord. I'll never forget being at my grandmother's funeral. That one hit me hard. I've been to a lot of funerals, lost a lot of loved ones in my life. But when my grandmother died in 2003, that one hit me hard because I was extremely close to her. And I'll never forget when we lowered her body into the ground. And she had six grandsons, and all six of us were the pallbearers. And we carried the casket. And I remember we carried it to the grave site. And we had the service, and they lowered her casket down into the ground. And each of us took a shovel of dirt and poured it on top of her casket. And I remember the grieving that came out of me when I lifted up that shovel of dirt. It was like time slowed down, and I could see every grain of dirt fall from that shovel. And everything inside me cried out, no, no, the grieving was so deep. And I remember my mother came over and turned me towards her and looked into my eyes and she smiled. And she said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall arise incorruptible. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And she looked at me and she said, Son, I don't care if there's nothing but bones in this box when the Lord descends from heaven, flesh is going to come on those bones. When the Lord descends from heaven, that box is coming out of the ground. And mama is going to live with Jesus forever. So you begin to rejoice for your grandmother right now. It's not that I didn't grieve. And it's not that it's wrong to grieve. But the joy of the Lord came. Because suddenly I saw the event before me through the, the perspective of the kingdom of God. 
And when you begin to see the situation you're walking through through the perspective of the kingdom of God, everything changes. My great aunt is 99 years old. She turns 100 in January. Yeah, dang, Gina. And she's still as ornery as she can be. But a few years ago, more like 15 years ago, we took her to the mall when she could still get around, you know. And uh, she, she had just gotten her eyes dilated, and so she wanted to go get some lunch, so we took her to the mall. And we're walking through the mall. She had her walker, and she's walking through the mall just complaining. It is dark in here. What's wrong with this place? It looks like a dungeon in here. Why don't they turn on some lights in this place? What's wrong with these people? Somebody's going to trip and fall in here. It's so dark in here. What is wrong with these people? And we're just cracking up laughing, because you know how when you get your eyes dilated, they give you those dark you know, shades, you know, those super pitch black ones. She's still wearing those pitch black shades and she forgot she had them on. And all of a sudden she woke up and realized and she says, oh Lord, I got my dark glasses. And she took those dark glasses off and suddenly the place was filled with light. You know what most believers walk around with dark glasses on? Everything looks bad. That's why they call us sheep. Say, how you doing, brother? Bad, bad. <laughs> Tonight, God wants to take those dark glasses off you and give you the lenses of joy. And you know what? When you walk in the joy of the Lord, you begin to assert the kingdom of God in the earth. And when the devil attacks your joy, he's attacking God's right to rule. And so you must hold on to your joy. You must make a decision to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Why? Because that is one of the primary expressions of God's kingdom. And what I've seen is great men of God serve God in mighty ways, but somewhere along the way they lose their joy. Nothing worse. I know right now some very successful, very powerful men of God doing a mighty work for the kingdom, and thousands of people are being blessed by it and touched by it, but I don't want to be like them because they don't have any joy. And not only that, the generation after them is looking at them saying, I don't want to be that. Even their own children say, I don't want anything to do with what my dad does or what my mom does. Why? They don't have any joy. The world doesn't care how successful you are. If you don't have any joy, they don't want anything to do with your Jesus. They don't want your Jesus because you fed a few hungry people. Unbelievers feed hungry people. But if they see kingdom joy in you, you're going to be contagious. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that right now you would remove everything that stands in opposition against your joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. Joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that you would restore the joy of the Lord. There's some of us here that the devil has robbed us of our joy. Let me rephrase that. The devil cannot rob you of your joy. Because God has crowned you with a crown of everlasting joy. But he can convince you that you've lost your joy. And that's just as bad. He can bury it. I remember being a seminary student. My first year in seminary, I was broke as I could be. I came to like, I had like a dollar. And I cried out to God. Now, at the same time, my room was a mess. I did not clean. I did not do laundry. I just had piles of dirty clothes in my room. And I got on my knees in the middle of that dirty room and I said, Lord, send me money. I need money. Please send me money. I'm broke. God, be my provider. And I prayed for like an hour for money. And the Lord spoke to me after about an hour and said, clean your room. I said, Lord, I'll do that later. Right now I need money. The Lord said, clean your room now. So I got up and started cleaning my room and I started doing laundry and I was going and I had piles and piles of laundry. 
I got to the bottom of the pile, and as I was going through pants to wash them, I reached in a pocket, and I pulled out a piece of paper. It was a check for $300 that I had forgotten somebody had given me six months before. It was there all the time. It was just in the bottom of a pile. And some of you here tonight, you think you've lost your joy. No, it's been there all the time. It's just in the bottom of a pile. It's in a pocket somewhere. You can't lose it. It's an everlasting joy. It can't be taken away. The devil is not strong enough to disarm the kingdom of God. And if he could disarm your joy, he could disarm the kingdom of God. It's the same thing with peace. You can't lose your peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but as the Father gives, it'll abide with you forever. You can't lose it. But the devil can hide it. Or he can try to convince you that you don't have it. When you wake up and realize all you've got to do is clean your room. What do I mean clean your room? Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are thought processes that war against your joy. Thought processes. Ryan was telling me tonight, he just sensed that the Lord was saying that many of you have a sense of the harshness of God. And that sense of the harshness of God, you think God is just hard on you. He's just looking for a means of punishing you or a reason to punish you. That can war against your joy. That fear that has to do with punishment. Some of you keep falling into the same sin cycles again and again, and it wars against your joy. You're struggling with inferiority, and it wars against your joy. Whatever it is, it's in the mind. And if you renew your mind, then the joy of the Lord will infiltrate the rest of your being. But all you have to do right now is remove from your mind the lies of the enemy that would lock you up and tie you up and keep you outside of the joy of the Lord. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I just speak a renewing of your mind. A renewing of your mind. And I want to speak to some of you right now that just you just feel like you're bound up in, in cyclical sin. Because shame is associated with that. And the shame that's associated with that is what keeps you running back to it. But you just think, if I just feel ashamed enough, maybe I'll get free. May I say to you that shame has never delivered anybody? Shame has never delivered anybody. But faith has. And you cannot rise up in faith as long as you're bowed down in shame. You say, I don't have the strength to beat this thing. Well, let me tell you where the strength comes from. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The shame of your sin is not your strength. The joy of the Lord is. Now, what the devil has done is he's tried to take something that's black and white and make it gray. Are you forgiven or not? Have you been set free or not? Have you been set free? You have been set free. Revelation 1.6, To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests before his God and king. God has freed you from your sins and made you kings and priests before God. You are kings and priests and you are not in bondage to anyone or to anything. You must remove from your mind the thought that you can be in bondage. In John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and says, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. They said, what do you mean free? We're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anything. Jesus said, if anyone sins, he's a slave to sin. But you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen, you know the truth tonight. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And he said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. He sets you free by giving you the spirit of sonship. And by him you cry out, Abba, Father. You've been set free. You've been set free. But that thing is simply sent to war against your joy. That's the whole purpose of that attack of the enemy. To war against your joy. To bring you into bondage to fear and shame. But you must rise up and take dominion over it. 
You must rise up and rule over it tonight. You've got to rule over it. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to possess you, but you must rule over it. You've got to rule over it. That means you've got to rise up in your authority as sons and daughters of God and declare, I'm not in bondage to this thing. This thing is under my feet. And when you begin to rise up in your authority as sons and, God, as sons and daughters of God, the flow of the kingdom begins to be released through you and it manifests in the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord strengthens you to walk in victory. The joy of the Lord strengthens you to walk in power. The joy of the Lord strengthens you to walk in righteousness. The joy of the Lord strengthens you to walk in peace. Let nothing rob you of your joy. Let nothing take away your joy. Because whatever opposes your joy opposes the kingdom of God. But God has determined that He will rule in you. And He will rule through you. But He'll do it through you by releasing you in His power, in His righteousness in his peace, and in his joy. I say that you are sons and daughters of God. I say that you are sons and daughters of God. I say that you are free and not in bondage. I say that, that God's power toward you is great. It is exceedingly great. It's just like the working of his mighty power, which, we, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him at his right hand. That is his power towards you. I say that he is your righteousness, that he has clothed you in garments of righteousness. I say that he is your peace who has broken down every wall. And I say that he is your joy. Amen. Amen. And because of that, you have great victory tonight. And I release you into the victory of Christ tonight. In Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen? Stand up on your feet. Give Jesus a, a clap of praise tonight. I speak the blessing of the Lord to, over you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I say that he is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To him be glory in the church forever. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. We are dismissed.